So, you know, I, first of all, um, thank you for inviting me. And, um, and I love this. It's, it's interesting because I study um, the AA 12 and 12. And what's interesting is recently when I really delved into step 12 in the AA 12 and 12, what amazed me was how much of the text is reserved for the practicing the principles in all our affairs. That we, you know, the first part is that having had a spiritual awakening. Okay, we get that, one through 11, right? We've woken up. And now we're supposed to carry this to other compulsive overeaters. Okay, yep, got that. And now practice it in all of our affairs, not just, not just with compulsive overeaters, right? But with, with the world at large. And so I, I too, like took those questions and, you know, number one, can we love the whole pattern of living as eagerly as we do the small segment of it? We discover when we try to help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. So yeah, I can, by the way, I wanna answer yes to every question. Yes, I can. Do I always? No, that's a different question. Do you is different from can I, right? But I can. Um, and that's that, you know, that's the work of the lifetime is moving from the can I to the do I. Um, and I remember that I'm human and I'm imperfect, um, but I have a perfect God that I can keep returning to to help me do these things. So yeah, I can love much more in my whole pattern of living. You know, in a way, what happened for me was I, I fell in love with service, with being helpful. Like it doesn't it doesn't just go from, you know, I do, I help others because I'm afraid of eating. Maybe in the very beginning, but it moves very quickly from fear to desire. Like you want to help other people. And, and I have to say that this carries over into my workplace, into my classroom. You know, I, I'm a teacher and I share that a lot. And one of the things that amazed me was how I actually truly want to sit down with my students today. I'm not caring if an administrator is walking in the door to see my brilliant lessons. I'm not interested in who's knowing what I'm doing, but actually the desire takes root from inside of me that I'm eagerly wanting to help other people. Um, you know, I feel acceptance for the conditions that I used to declare were unacceptable. I used to walk around and say, that is unacceptable. And I don't often feel that way most of the time. I feel like, hmm, might not like it, but obviously it's going to have to be acceptable. You know, today I can't think about the whole pattern of living, right? What does that even mean? The messiness of life, the hardships, highs and lows. And somehow I just don't take myself so seriously. You know, I can appreciate that if things are somewhat calm today, sometimes they're really calm, then I get this sense, great, enjoy it, because it might not be this way too long, right? And likewise, if things are going bumpy, I can ask God, just give me the wisdom, courage, and strength to live the best way I can, even though things might be chaotic, right? I get this reassurance, just don't worry, because just like the good times pass through, these, any bad, times tend to do the same thing. It won't be this way much longer. 
You know, number two, can we bring the same spirit of love and tolerance into our sometimes deranged family lives that we bring into the AA group? And I, I laugh when I read like deranged family lives. I think it's kind of funny. Um, you know, I love, and I love the love and tolerance. That's like, I always say, I'm going to get it. I am going to get a tattoo someday. And I want that on my arm. That love and tolerance is my code. Um, I can love those I might not like, and I can have greater tolerance as well. And, you know, I, I'd say like, I take note that our code is love and tolerance. It's not fair and unfair. That's not my code. It's not right versus wrong. It's not justice versus, you know, inequity but it's love and tolerance. That, that's the specific code that me as a recovered addict has to live by. And, and what is tolerance anyway? It's an increased ability to tolerate my own discomfort. You know, it's not merely, oh, I'm gonna tolerate these, you know, these people that are deranged, right? That I just write off as being deranged. But it's actually, I ask God to diminish my sensitivity to the things that normally would disturb me. It's almost like I pray for thicker skin. I really do. I just pray like, please don't make me so sensitive. And when I take that position, yeah, the, the people and circumstances that might be deranged, I can somehow tolerate them. I can somehow not stomach them, but but manage my own discomfort. Number three, can we have the same kind of confidence and faith in these people? Remember, these deranged people who have sometimes been infected and sometimes crippled by our own illness that we have in our sponsors. And, you know, um, I think like, sometimes it's strange to think that I've actually infected right, and crippled members of my family with my disease. And for a long time, I kind of walked around thinking, I didn't do anything to hurt anybody. What did I do? I got fat. That, how is that hurting anybody, right? Um, but the disease of compulsive eating didn't, you know, while it didn't have me actively hurting my family or friends, or I don't believe it did, but really it did. Of course it did. You know, if you withdraw, from your family, if you don't actively participate or fully engage with your young children, you know, if you leave your husband to do all the running around after your toddler, or you choose food over intimacy, right? Or you force your children to be like your pocketbook, like your accessory, like I would make sure that my kids looked great, sounded great, did all the right things. I was a mess, but I wore them like a pocketbook and that's hurtful, right? Um, you know, I would withdraw feeling unattractive. I would, you know, very often go upstairs and eat and hope my husband would like hang out downstairs long enough that I could hide up and eat. Or likewise, he would go upstairs and I would hope he'd fall asleep so I could eat. That's harmful to a family, 
you know, and then, and then I would get mad because I felt unattractive. Like, you know, I would be mad at, at them. Um, so yeah, we harm our families. Yeah, that was a lie that I thought I didn't. And, you know, and then what happens when we're recovering? We push them aside again. I mean, that was my experience. I pushed them aside again and chased after recovery. You know, um, I, I also, you know, one of my shameful things is that I treated my young teenage daughter at the time, now she's a young woman, like she was my sponsee. Like I was, I was newly recovered. And anytime this young teen would bring a problem to me, I would force her to see her part in it. <laughs> First of all, she's not an addict or maybe she is, but I'm not her sponsor. And that's not my job. My job was actually not to make her find her part, but as her mother to take her part. That actually was my role. And so, you know, now it says, all right, so um, now how do I trust these people? Well, first of all, how about me clean up myself so that they can trust me first, right? Make myself a more trustworthy example for them. And, you know, um, so the first thing I did really was make amends and not just the pathetic mumblings that I'm sorry, but actually amend means to change, to change the way that I interacted with them. So I change first and then I demonstrate patience, love, confidence, and faith in them. I trust them to their loving creator. And if I trust God fully, then I can have confidence and faith in them. That's what I find out. If I can change, right? If, if God can change me, then any situations that they seem to be acting out, and I can trust God with that too. Okay, number four, can we actually carry the AA spirit into our daily work? And, you know, I have to say this is possible, although it's not easy. My challenge has been the workplace. Um, at one time, I actually used work as a drug. Work was my other drug. Um, I would pour myself into my job for accolades and attention. That's why I did it. Not necessarily to be effective in my job, but because I liked being the great director. And, um, and if your self will run riot and you're out to prove your self-worth in your workplace, you actually can get a big hit off of that. Bosses like that. That does not, that makes sometimes for a very good employee when you are doing everything for praise, everything for accolades. And, you know, I loved to hear how amazing I was. That was like, that was like, you know, it just made me feel so good. Um, but I didn't think as much about what my true purpose was there, you know? So I, I did things for, for like a show, but when no one was looking, I wasn't really doing such a hot job. It was only what others could see that mattered. And, you know, at work now, my purpose is the same as it is in, in my recovery and in my life. Seek God's will, take his direction, be useful and help others. My employer at work is not the boss that's, that's, that you would think it is, it's, it's my employer. That's my employer first. And so 
that's who I have to worry about pleasing first. And if the boss here on my earthly plane isn't pleased with me, um, first I please that boss. And then I'll worry about human um, responses secondary, you know? Uh, the next question I really wanted to zone in on is number seven. Um, can we find a new joy in living and trying to do something about all these things? Yes, 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 yes. You know, yeah, we're supposed to be joyful. We're, first of all, we're told that in the big book. You know, if that's truly my, my directions, if I'm gonna take my directions, I'm gonna say, this is my textbook for living. The book tells me to be happy, joyous, and free. That that's what I'm supposed to strive for. And I would say this, what would the purpose of recovery be if not to live in joy? You know, I don't believe in a creator that gave me life to be miserable in its existence. I just don't, I don't believe in a God like that. And, you know, how can I also, if, if, if I believe that my purpose today is to um, carry the message, and I do believe that's my purpose, um, I'm supposed to be a messenger of the power of a miracle. How could I possibly deliver that message if I don't exude this in my demeanor? If I show up here looking defeated and feeling defeated and feeling lack of joy and, and, and just down all the time, I wouldn't be doing a good job at this. But even more than that, I actually feel internally that way today. I don't feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. I, I think I do feel genuinely happy. Um, one of the greatest ways that I can thank God today is not being too jaded or too cool to express my exuberance. Like I used to think that it was somehow like not cool to be happy. <laughs> like you seem to be much cooler when you're like on the, hmm, this stinks kind of an attitude. And I don't, I don't feel that way anymore. I'm like, I don't care. I'm happy to, to wear the t-shirt the that says, yep, I'm happy, you know, <laughs> I'm happy. Um, you know, and now eight, can we now accept and adjust to terms with seeming failure or uh, to, I'm sorry, can we now accept and adjust to either without despair or pride? meaning failures or successes? Can we accept poverty, sickness, loneliness, and bereavement with courage and with serenity? And the truth is, um, I'm a human being having a human experience. My life, you know, I'm aware that my life has an ending. Like, we're finite. Um, and I, but I do think this is a wonderful party that I'm in right now. I just feel like this life is a great party and it's gonna end one day. Like I have the awareness that my earthly existence is gonna end and there's painful realities of life. Like that's what it means to be human, that we have loss, we have death, we have illness, we've got disappointments. Yes, we have success. Yes, we have wonderful things as well, but we do experience pain as part of the human experience. And what enables me to have courage and serenity? I have an unshakable faith in God that I found 
in this program. I found it through defeat. I was rescued from food, right? Food was my master and the other master came in and rescued me. And so now I have an unshakable faith in God. I, I believe that his plan is ultimately good. That's the position that I take. Um, I have a human perspective. My own recovery is an example of the miraculous power. I have seen things happen in the lives of people today that are unexplainable for me as well. It's unexplainable to me how I went from 300 pounds, could not stop eating, right? Till my mouth bled, to being relieved of that. That's nothing short of a miracle. And then many other miracles have taken place as a result. So number nine, you know, can we get the resources to meet these calamities which come to so many? So what gives me courage? What allows me to accept every one of the hardships that I have survived? Until this day, I have actually survived them, right? That's how I look at them. Yep, I've had them and I've survived them up until today, this hour, right? And each time for me, trouble knocked on my door, I was provided. In retrospect, now I look back and I say, you know what? I was provided with everything I needed to survive it. Because guess what? I'm here and I've survived it. So that's my evidence. God consistently has given me people and resources. They've just presented themselves to me. That's been my experience. And my faith tells me that this will continue to be my experience. It's just the position that I'm going to take, you know. Um, so can we now, with the help of God, as we understand him, handle them as well and as bravely as our non-alcoholic friends do? Yes. I see how the rest of the world seems to react from even the pandemic. People lost their minds, you know yelling and screaming over toilet paper in Walmart. Like, like, I mean, lost their brains. And I didn't see that so much for my fellows who had a, a program of recovery. I didn't lose my mind over it. You know, I walked into the grocery store and I was like, oh crap, they're out of what I need here today. I guess I'll have to find some other product, right? Something else. Um, you know, and now number 11, can we transform these calamities into assets, sources of growth and comfort to ourselves and those about us? Hopefully, yes, right? Because that's what we're here for today. That's why I'm here. That's why when I'm asked, you know, to share my story, my answer is yes, of course. Because those were my calamities. The way I lived before, I didn't even show you my pictures. You know, and another time, I usually show them another time, I'll be happy to show my photos. That was a woman who lived in calamity. And today, you know, they're my asset. They're my golden ticket. That's what gives me purpose, meaning, direction, a source of growth and comfort. And um, it's truly a privilege and an honor to not only be a compulsive overeater, but to be a recovered compulsive overeater and to do this here with all of you today. And um, thanks. With that, I'll pass.
You're muted. Still can't hear you. I think it's your volume settings, oh, Ray. Maybe. Nope. <laughs> you know, I was just saying, Melissa, thank you for reminding us of just how beautiful this way of living is. You know, and that that's kind of, you know, what motivated me, you know, to put this together was part of it was a lot, you know, I hear we get stuck in the problem a lot. I hear about the problem a lot. And when I read the Canwees, it was just like, oh, this is a beautiful way of life. And your share captured that. It was real. And but it's just like we do this for a reason. We get to a place where it's just like, oh, the joy in living. And this is it actually works. This is a why else would I do this if it if it didn't help me in life, you know, and just make life better. So thank you so much. Our next speaker is Dominic R. And Dominic, go ahead, take it away, brother. Hey, my name is Dominic. I'm a cultural reader. I um I live in Canada this morning. Um thanks already for asking and organizing this event. So I'm, uh, let me see, this is a good topic. It was interesting, to, an interesting take and I, I, I um, kind of reading through it and planning it. So I'll just talk a little bit for a few minutes about who I am. Uh, my name is Dominic. I grew up in Ireland and um, like in a very remote, very distinct place. And um, sometime when I was 10, 11, I realized I was, somebody helped me and get to the knowledge that I was fat and it was a problem and it was my problem <laughs> and I needed to do something about it. And that kind of was the end of the instruction. So, I mean, what, and I don't want to go on too much about my, what my story is, but I still want to kind of spin through it really quick. The, the deal is um, when I got here, I was 333 pounds. I know that number because it was the last number of my scale and some days it would be E and some days it would be 333. <laughs> and my top weight had been 352. And, you know, I went through all the normal, uh, luckily I grew up in a remote area. So teasing and stuff wasn't terrible, but I was afraid of it always. So I was ashamed. And I, uh, this was always my problem. And I taught, I focused a lot on the weight. That was always my problem, not the eating, but I knew it was the eating. Like I couldn't stop eating or stay stopped. And I couldn't, you know what I mean? I'm powerful with food and taking the first bite. So very quickly, I I ate a lot and I drank a lot and I moved eventually, I moved over and I lived in actually down near where, in near LA, like in Orange County and Newport Beach. And through all of the different things there, I uh, ended up, <laughs> getting sent to a program, you know, not, a, not OA, they don't send you to OA, they send you to other programs. And uh, I remember I went to this NA meeting once and I, this guy gave a lot, big long story. And I thought this guy talked and I go, man, if this guy was taught, he was a long-term heroin addict with a huge story. And I've never done heroin, but I've done other drugs and alcohol, but he, he, I go, if this guy was talking about food, I could have taken every step with him the whole thing. This like endless jury of powerlessness, you know, I just can't stop. And then um, he, 
I was, you know, and like a few months later, I, I made my way into the, the meeting, you know, to Overish Anonymous, you know, and I used to go, there was a men's meeting at Hoff's Hut, right next to John, John Wayne Airport. And that was in 1996, 97, probably 97 when I started going there. And I just went there for one meeting a week. And I'd eat, it was a breakfast meeting and I would eat before, during and after the meeting some days, you know what I mean? I couldn't stop eating. And, you know, I, I didn't, I had just come from, started out in another program and had about a year. So I didn't want to be a newcomer. I didn't want to work the steps and I didn't want to sponsor. And, you know, and I'd search, I'd search that book and try to find somebody who had that experience and I, I didn't find them, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I looked, but it got me, but the thing is I was, I was very uncomfortable in my own skin at this point. And so for some reason I felt comfortable in the meeting, you know, I felt very welcome and accepted and all that. So I kept coming back and that was really important. And what was really important was I could just be there. I didn't need to be everything. And after about six months, I moved up here to San Francisco where I live now. And, you know, it was just another six months and I'm like, it's a new place, a new location. And it's um, you like the guy at the corner store knows my name. He doesn't know my name, but he kind of expects me to show up at this time and I'm going to eat this, that, whatever, and whatever. So anyway, I started a program and that was in 1997. Um, and I've been absent since three meals a day and I'm in between no sugar, plan the last bite before you take the first bite. That's kind of like the basis. I mean, there's a whole bunch of caveats and complications that I've added or removed over the years, but that's the basis of my abstinence, you know? And, you know, maintaining about 130, 30-pound weight, weight loss for a lot of time. Um, I don't usually, I'm not really prepared with that thing, but uh, I could, I don't know if I want to share the photos. I have a few photos, but I, it's okay, I probably won't. So, that's that's just my story i don't want to you know the so the thing about me like when i was looking at this i mean it really comes down to like step 12 is practice these like the short end question the one or overarching question in my mind similar to what Nathan said was can we practice these principles in all of our affairs and and the thing is my experience is to some extent, we have to, <laughs> you know, what we have to practice, can we, it's not, can we, I think to stay abstinent and to stay long, we have to, and uh, absolutely not perfectly. And it's more about like the intent and the honesty and the, and how's that. And um, I'll talk first about um, like the first thing, like how I got abstinent is I, I worked, the, you know, I got a sponsor, I worked the steps, I had abstinence. And I did everything. I did service. I went to a billion meetings. I went to like all kinds of meetings. I would go to just meetings just to not be sitting at home, you know, because that sound when you, when you, um, the sound when you um, drop the mic, the sound when you drop the microphone, the spoon, you know, at the end of dinner, that that's really just, you know what I mean? That's a lonely sound. So, I, um, you know, and, so, and I just did a lot of service and I did that. But now to get back to what, what we're talking about with the canaries, I, I come from a period where I was very, 
down when I got to program, you know what I mean? I was very um, discon, I don't know. I mean, I was just like, a, like I was overweight. I couldn't stop eating. I felt really bad about myself. So I threw myself into program. And one thing I learned is, is like, can we love the whole pattern of living? I think once I was in service and engaged in program and I had got like six months, maybe a year, you know, the six months to a year and passed that in program, I got this new lightness in my life that was, it was just like, I enjoyed, I was engaged and stuff. It was a huge deal to like, I was happy to, there was just a freedom in it, I guess I could talk about it. It mostly was in terms of a freedom. And like, it doesn't sound, it doesn't make any sense even today, but I was the secretary of meetings. I was the, as a chairperson, I was the, this person, I was that, I, I, you know, it didn't matter what I did, I did everything. And I was going to a ton of meetings and, you know, sometimes that would even feel it didn't particularly feel like a bird but it did there's something but then the rest of my life it felt freeing like i just felt okay and better than i had felt in a long time so i was you know and that and of course that's a great thing it kept me coming back and it kept me very active in that then um so that was that was a real thing to discover, you know what I mean? Like to bring that, and that was a freedom. And then another thing, I mean, a lot. It's somewhere it mentions about two stepping, and two stepping was never, to my knowledge, like a huge problem for me because I um, I was afraid. You know what I mean? I had a, my experience with drugs and but with food. I I waited like literally for years for the day I because I had I didn't if I had told my my whole big long story. It's like I had this experience where I would diet all the time or try to diet, you know. And I would like there'd be a day I'd no longer be on the diet, and then it would start like I'm going to take the next bite. I'm going to I'm going to eat this now, but in the future I'm going to stop. You know what I mean? I was going to like I'm going to do it in the future, and I think. That kind of, um, I was afraid for that day would come back with this abstinence, you know what I mean? So that kept me very, very busy. I like, I did the fifth step and the sixth step and the ninth step and like all the hard stuff. They were all hard and they were all difficult to do, but I did them all. And that, because I was afraid, like I knew about this disease and like I never, cunning, baffling, powerful wasn't lost in me, you know, by the time I got here, you know, have another lifetime. So um, then, once I got abstinent and I was established in abstinence, you know, like in my mind, of course, this isn't true. There's bigger, but like bigger problems. But in my mind, I'm like, um, what was that? My, in my mind, the thing that I'm thinking is there's only two problems left, finance and romance. You know what I mean? After you have all the other ones. And of course, that's not true. But they were a kind of a fearful, you know, like I never, because I'd been overweight my whole life, I was very relationships and dating was like I had no experience of that or not not really anyway and it certainly wasn't and it was very difficult for me you know what I mean just to to make myself vulnerable enough to be in a relationship and do all of that stuff and like that I had to go through and you know I'm 30 years of age but I'm really like I'm at the age of an adolescent really in terms of like maturity in terms of dating and stuff like that that's and 10 think, minutes Dominic okay okay thanks very much so that meant that I I had nowhere to turn to for help with that except program. You know what I mean? Because I, I like all of that. So it's going like, can we, um, I, 
before I like answer all of the questions kind of one-on-one, what I, what I really comes down to is my pattern in this program for every problem I have is, first of all, there's denial. It's not a problem. I don't, you know what I mean? Then, then I probably try to self-will it. And then once I beat my head up against that for an head, then initially my first thing is I ask my higher power for help. I just say that like one prayer help. And then sometime later, I find myself talking about it, you know, not, not to everybody, but to the people I trust. And I, you know, cause I, you know, you, we have, I have a lot of fear and shame and guilt and whatever, a bunch of stuff. And the thing is, and then if I, and then I find myself taking action and like, I, and I hope this program for me is all about spiritual action and spiritual action. Isn't like there's a place up here. It isn't going to spirit rock. Not that that isn't, but for me, spiritual action is doing like the next mundane right thing. What's the next thing towards the thing I want. That's what it is. And like, once I take that action, somehow I take the action and, and then it's like, it's not like any magic. Of course it's total magic, but sometime later that whatever the problem was, it's behind me. You know what I mean? It's not like the problem goes from being this colossal thing I can't deal with to being behind me. And it all starts with that program. And that pattern is like, and it's funny, even like at the start of this year, I, it was a smaller thing. It's, I went through that whole pattern. There was denial, then it was like self-will, then I asked for help, then I was talking about it, then I took a bunch of action around it, like daily practice around my program. And then it's behind me. You know what I mean? Like the, the problem behind me. And it's like that. So, I mean, that's, that's how the program, for me, that's the kind of basis of practicing these principles in all my affairs. So um, then I think, can we bring the spirit of love and tolerance into our sometimes deranged family? Like for me, that was about my family of origin. You know, I grew up in an alcoholic home and I, and I have a really good relationship with my siblings. And I, my father was a, the, the alcoholic, but I had a kind of a strained, not strained, kind of estranged really, are very with my, with my mother, you know, in, the, in that whole thing. Because, you know, she was like the desert, because of, because of the alcoholic, she was, the, and she was carrying the whole burden. She was kind of the designated bad person, you know, <laughs> which is of course untrue. And she's far from perfect. But I think the deal is over the years, I mean, we've really, cultivated a great you know a good relationship like we talk a lot we we've I've traveled with her I've been, and she lives in Ireland right so I mean it's just a that's become a basic thing and I also have like really good relationships with all my siblings you know I talk to them a lot I'm engaged with them and I I never I'd like to say in the past I never had a bad relationship with them but I mean I have relationships with them I'm involved with them you know um then it says can we carry the spirit of AA into our daily work and I think of course, this is far from perfect. You know what I mean? I have like, um, I, I worked on big teams. I was like a leader, had a lot of staff and um, like it can be, and I can be a difficult person to work with, you know, kind of intense and do that. So that, so I made a lot of amends in the workplace, you know what I mean? And, and sometimes they feel, they felt kind of false because I would do the same thing again. And but I was also in program. I was very successful work-wise, successful, you know, and it was all due to like the spiritual principles, you know, like I kind of had to, to survive in that workplace and stay abstinent, you know, I could, I had to like, 
step 10 kind of is the thing. I had to look at my behavior, talk it, evaluate it. And also I, the other thing is, um, it's also, you're, you're, you're constantly in this balance between like the super ego and this massive low self-esteem, which is a difficult personality to work with. You know what I mean? Because you're in danger of like, in, you know, making them feel bad. So they're kind of getting angry about that. And then the day they come in and they're in the ego thing, they're hard to deal with because they're like on some other plane. They're so much, they know so much. And, so, and it's like, I, I heard actually was in a meeting of a different fellowship in, in Compton. Um, and I remember it, like this guy said, he said what program gave him was the ability to look across the table at the other person. Like and what he meant was on a, on, as a, on a level playing field. And mm -hmm. I think that's what like, just look across the table, it's another person. And you know, if you can bring that to anything and bring the humanness, there's another person I'm dealing with, even if they're wrong or right or whatever, that's, a, that's, that's generally a path to a solution. You know what I mean? That's it. Uh, can we take our responsibilities? Yes, I mean, what was the state of my taxes? What was the state of my credit card bills? What was the state of like all of those things? You know, my life's unmanageable. That's their responsibilities. You know, like, do I vote? Do I vote regularly? Like, it doesn't matter, but do all of those things happen? It's like, yes. Were they happening before? Of course not. You know what? I mean, for me, I guess I can't say that for everybody else. I'm just talking about my experience. They weren't. <laughs> so um, the religion of our choice, I have a higher power. I'm not that active in religion. So I kind of don't have a lot, but I do have a higher power and I pray and it's, it's important to me, you know? Uh, can we find a joy of living? I mean, I think the answer to that is yes. Number seven there, can we find a new joy of living in doing something about all of these things? And I think, yes. I mean, there is a satisfaction in having taken care of the things I need to take care of. And like more than a satisfaction, there's like the joy of living is a freedom for me because the opposite feels like a prison. It just feels like freedom. And I, I like associate with that with freedom. I can be freedom of the bondage of self and I can be free of the bondage of all the stuff I feel I should be doing. And I'm not perfect and everything. It's just need to do the next right thing. Um, can, we turn to, can we come to terms with failure and success? And I, I like that because the thing is, we have no choice but to come to terms because the stuff happens. <laughs> but the thing is, can we stop jumping up and down and throwing our toys and just like move on and do the next right thing? You know what I mm -hmm. mean? And not get stuck in the past. That's that for me is a thing. And that's, that's hard, but it's also something I got through in here. And it doesn't happen the first day or the second day, but it usually mm -hmm. initiate a process and program and I do it. Uh, can we, can we next to adjust either? Without despair, can we accept poverty, sickness, loneliness, bereavement, and courage, serenity? And it's again, ultimately we can, I can, but it takes time and, and it's far from perfect. You know what I mean? It's far from perfect, but it's, it's definitely like it's a different world than it was in 1996. You know what I mean? Uh, can we steadfully content ourselves with humbler yet sometimes more durable satisfactions when the brightering more glyph? And that's a difficult one because I, I had a, like a job with a lot of, lot of responsibility and a lot, and that changed, you know, about five years ago. And 
you know, and now I have my own company and it's a lot smaller and I deal, and I don't have all of that, like the person in charge kind of feeling. And of course, like if you look at it, one part of my ego gets upset, but in the terms of my day-to-day -day life, it's a hundred times better <laughs> because, you know, it's not like emails and texts in the middle of the night, you know, 24 seven and the stress and all of that. It's a very different thing. So my life's way better and I get to do much more enjoyable things and enjoy like the, a, a similar standard of living, you know? So it's uh, he, like, in, and, and that one is for me is like, I don't know what's good for me sometimes. And when it happens, it happens. And, you know, it's more my ego that's unhappy with number nine than me. Then if I really look at how I'm living, I'm fine. Um, can we get the resources to meet the economy? And I think, I think, yes, can we get the resources? And, you know, that usually in the, is in the part of information and help. Because it's like, and, and also the deal is as the things come, there's the solution I want versus a solution. And they're not, they're not the same always, you know what I mean? And so it's kind of more, I get what I need. And sometimes what I need is a lot better. I, like one example of that, I had a relationship, which was like, I, I lived with somebody and they had, and it, it wasn't the right relationship. It's not, it just wasn't, we weren't in the right place to be there at that time. And we had very different things. And like, of course I was hanging on like dear life. It was like a hostage situation, mutual, but hostage situation. And like what it, what it took was letting go. And it isn't that it isn't any disparagement on the other person, but we needed, you know, we went to actually couples counseling and it was great because really I just saw one day, it didn't matter all she said, she said, it really came down to like, what do I want and what did she want? And they weren't the same thing. And you're like, that's a problem, you know, if you're trying to have a relationship because they're not, they weren't time? the same. Okay, then um, I'll just quickly go one minute and then I'll go. And now, so I think that's, I mean, I've got, I've built it on enough. Anyway, thanks very much. I mean, I, there's a lot of can we here. I, I love this program. My life completely transformed. It's the basis of everything that's been good in my life. You know, it has started and ended with program and just to enjoy the whole joy of living just involves the more I'm involved and the more I speak and the more I do service and the more I sponsor For some reason, it's all easier. It's all easier. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to me. Thanks. <laughs> Man, that was great, Dominic. Thank you for contributing to this, this conversation. Um, you know, there are so many jewels in what you shared. And, you know, one thing I learned is like life is going to do what life does. And this is like, how am, how am I going to go with the flow? How am I going to how, how am I going to live in it? And I appreciate your share. You know, I like how you talked about the mundane spiritual actions. You know, just something as, uh, you know, treating somebody differently, the, the mailman you know, or speaking to somebody in, in a kind way, that's just a mundane action, but it's a spiritual action and it's magic in that change. You know, you also talked about that cycle of denial, then beating my head, finally getting to God, what do I do? And I also appreciate how you talked about bringing everything back to program, you know, and, and that's, that's my life too. It's like bringing everything back to program, all these experiences. So thank you very much. And our next speaker, I've known my whole recovery life. She saw me when I was a young pup and I've always respected her recovery. And it's just been a blessing to be on the journey, the path with her. And it's uh, KCA, take it away, Casey. 
Hi, my name is Casey. I am a compulsive overeater and recovering anorexic. Um, uh, excuse me, Casey, on your timer, do you want any kind of warning or anything like that? Thank you. Just 10 and 10. Thanks. Is it 20? Is that 20 minutes? Okay, yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you, Ore, so much for asking me to be of service and, and do a 12 step. Um, for full honesty, because I like to be honest on meetings, Casey is actually not my name, but for recording, I use that name. Um, <clears throat> just I have a unique name and I like to keep my uh, work life separate. So um, if anyone Googles my actual name, I'd really rather my OA pitch not come up. <laughs> so that is the only reason why I use that name. And it's um, Casey is a name of my Labrador dog, who also is a compulsive overeater. So I feel like we're amidst all company here. Oh, I'm, I'm so grateful to be here, Ore. Um, just big heart to you on all levels. And thank you um, so much, Dominic and Melissa. That was incredible to hear both of you. I was soaking it in. And, um, you know, I don't get better without studying the book. That's just the bottom line. That's what I've learned in here over the years. And I can't study. It's not a home study program. I remember people told me that. Like, I need other people, all of you, to let me know how you experience the book in your life, how it comes alive, and how your life has changed. So I need the human experience to translate the book. And usually that comes through things like this. This is an incredibly unique, I love the creativity of this actual workshop. Um, really gave me a lot to think about, very humbling for me. I was super nervous to speak today. Um, I'm in a really different place in my recovery now with all new challenges. And I guess that's what almost 30 years coming here looks like. Life is not supposed to be one thing. You know, there are sometimes I'm years here and my shtick is my stick, my always story, my past is like, that's the same. You guys, a lot of you I know, and you've heard my story, but where I am the last couple of years is very different and it's been extremely humbling. So this literature really speaks to me. I'll qualify, I've been coming to OA. My first OA meeting, I was a teenager. I'm 55 now, so it's been a long time. I didn't stay when I was a teenager. I came back in my late twenties. So I have, um, April 15th was actually, um, gosh, emotional, 26 years or 27 years, I always forget, um, of abstinence. It's one of those. Um, I try to not use numbers anymore, honestly, because I'm also recovering anorexic. Um, so, but I, I took a year or so before like coming to meetings. I was in meetings for a year, binging and dieting, thinking abstinence was a diet. So I spent a year in here binging and dieting before I was willing to get a sponsor and before the books came alive for me and things changed. So I am a hundred pounder. That means I've lost a hundred pounds or more. Um, I think my top weight was 230, 240. I stopped mowing myself. I was a chronic dieter. I would um, uh, chew, like I was incredibly resourceful of finding every diet on the planet. And I was really good at those diets. I mean, I was the type of dieter that would lose 60, 70, 80 pounds in a very short period of time. I would get to goal weight. And then what I found, which is told to me here, I could not do life without excess food. So I had to go back to eat. Like I had no other tools 
for doing life and the emotions that came up, being thin didn't fix it. So um, when I was 15, <clears throat> you know, some chronic dieting, there was a period of anorexia. Um, and then it went back to compulsive eating. I came back in my late twenties and I got my first sponsor who I'm forever indebted to. And, um, you know, for anyone that is a bottom guttural compulsive over ear, I was the draw the drapes way before cell phones, unplug the phone, binge my way. A friend of mine says sugar, salt, starch, the great concoction of the knockout on the couch, um, not come out for weekends, only answer the door for delivery. And uh, that was it. Like that really encompassed the type of binger I was. I was a volume binger. I always say I was a volume binger, so I need volume program. And um, so, um, and over the last 26, 27 years, like my abstinence has always been the same, like three meals a day, a snack or two if I need it. And then I developed a food plan, which is a tool of our program, which gave me deeper sobriety and deeper surrender and deeper freedom when I looked at my alcoholic foods and let go of those. And there are some foods I haven't eaten for decades, which gave me a lot of freedom for a long time. And I'll get to what my life is like now, but um, I want to talk about the literature because this stuff is so chock full. And what I really love, you know, I reread. So thank you, Ore, for bringing me back <laughs> to pulling out my A12 and 12, that is all like yellow pages because I actually got this in my first OA meeting when I was 15 and we didn't have OA literature. And I bought this book, which is the A12 and 12. It sat in like my closet for a decade before I came back, but I got this. And as a teenager, it was way too complex for me to understand what this book was about. I had a lot more dieting to do. so. I really cherish this book. Like, you know, I said to my husband this morning, if the building was burning, this is one thing I'd grab. It's that valuable to me. So it's always emotional when I pull this out and see the yellow pages and read it. But one thing about this book, it does like that I heard in the eloquent speakers that came before me is it does sum up like all of the 12 steps. So like, um, you know, on page 107, when it says, step one, step two, step three, step four. It summarizes like every single step that has brought us to the 12th step. And I love how it also talks about, and it was always said to me that you could work a 12th step, even if you were a newcomer in three days of abstinence. Like it's not just carrying the message to other compulsive eaters. It's also, you could get a coffee commitment or, you know, do a service position, be a greeter. And that's working the 12th step. It's like being here, showing up to a meeting. I remember when people would just say, coming and listening is 12th step. Like we get to do this together. And, um, you know, being a compulsive eater and an anorexic is, I, I just feel like it's a great equalizer. It equalizes me with my fellows. And the essence of my disease kept me disassociated from myself and others. And the 12th step like puts us to task with these can we questions of how do we engage with those around us, the world at large. Like I love Ore how you like separated this as a document and just really highlighted, can we do these things? And you know, can we bring the same spirit and love and tolerance sometimes in our deranged family lives? 
that we bring to our AA group. And, you know, since it encompasses all the 12 steps, I remember when I first read this, I was really surprised to talk about finances and marriage and everything else. And like, as Dominic, Dominic touched on, it's like, I heard an AA speaker say, I have problems in areas where I didn't have areas before. <laughs> you know, I didn't have these areas before. Like, it was really simple, honestly, being in my little apartment in West Hollywood, my, my cat and eating. It was very simple. It was very controlled environment. I knew what I was gonna get with my um, food, that what it would make me feel at the end of the night being so stuffed and couldn't sleep and the demoralization and the shame that would hit the next morning. And then the years of just trying to get abstinent and show up to meetings. And I, I mean, I'm a slow learner, man. I really had to be beaten into submission. That's not true. I had to keep showing up here very gently. And it takes me a long time to do these things. You know, it's like the water drip method. And, um, but when it was really said to me, like, there's nothing magic here. It's just about taking some few simple actions and things started to change. And that's what I found because I was so used to like bludgeoning with the diet or this or that to make that change. And that's not how it works here. Like page 53 of the big book, God is everything or God is nothing. What is the choice to be? And like, literally, I think that's my favorite line in the big book, because if I choose God, that's a choice. Or if I choose myself, will that's another choice. And so um, I love how the book summarizes all the 12 steps and how it's a two part step, right? So spiritual awakening, and then on page 109, now what about the rest of the 12 step, the wonderful energy it releases and the eager action by which it carries a message to the next suffering alcoholic, which translates in the 12 step into action upon our affairs is to pay off the magnificent reality of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, the one thing in the 12 step of carrying the message to the other alcoholic compulsive eater or whatever has been sponsoring that keeps me here time and time again through That's 10 minutes. Thank you, Arlene. Through the unbelievable, like wonderful things that have happened in nearly three decades to tremendous grief, tremendous change. You know, I mean, things happen in 30 years if we're lucky enough to be on the planet. And, you know, I love Melissa that you talked about like, this is a finite time and like as a human being on the planet. So do I want to enlarge my spiritual life and be a little freer? Like I love hearing other people share the enthusiasm of being, the joy of living is the theme of the 12 steps. So can I do that? Can I actually carry the AA spirit in our daily work? Like it has helped me like daily work, like in my job. Yeah. In my daily work, like the AA spirit, actually what has helped me the most is, um, uh, the traditions in my work. Like that's the AA work that has helped me in my job place, in my marriage, when, when I, you know, um, unity, you know, unity, the, the first tradition. And I, I carry that a lot in my marriage when I want to do things my way. And again, problems in areas I didn't have areas before. 
I didn't have dynamics with my cat in my apartment like I do with my husband, who's a human being. Like one of my sponsors reminds me that's why his name is John and your name is Casey. You know, you're two separate people. So um, again, like going back to the food and the isolatory behavior, which I, I'm, I'm the type of eater that it's just like, I wasn't at my top weight when I came in, but I was at my top insanity and I wanted to die. I really wanted to die. It's like that slow death we talk in here. And the humility of all of us walking in the door here of, you know, this, this disease being very shame-based for me and being one, one among many and um, like getting help from another. And so I wanna talk a little bit about, Arlene, how much time do I have? <laughs> Seven and a half minutes. Just where I am today, just to get current, because this question really spoke to me today. Can we now accept and adjust to whether, to either, um, to either without despair or pride, can we accept poverty, sickness, loneliness, and bereavement and courage and serenity? And, you know, I will say the last couple of years, a new form of um, what started to happen just to get totally honest is my food plan, which is a tool in here. Um, what is, you know, I remember Jeannie, one of my early sponsors, who I'm still dear with, she would say the disease is cunning, baffling, powerful, and patient. And being a compulsive reader and an anorexic, the anorexia was waiting in the wings. And um, the last few years, it took hold in a whole new way where um, I dropped a lot of weight and it was, I was working away and it was disguised under a food plan, you know? So I was sticking to my food plan. I was abstinent, which I'm still abstinent, but I've had to make some real changes for my health. And um, I've been dealing with also, um, been diagnosed with a chronic illness that has been somewhat very debilitating too. Um, and um, I've come a long way and I've really had to beef up on a lot of outside help that the big book tells us we can do. Medical care, outside help. Um, it's the first time in my OA program where like talk about humility and can we accept, that's what it says, can we accept this, life on life's terms? And this isn't like, is something doing, is it being done to me? It's always like, is it done for me? Like again, a deeper opportunity for surrender. God is everything or God is nothing. And one of the most beautiful things that helped me plugged in, like I said, through all of this, like the 12th part of the, the theme of the 12th step that has kept me tethered to all of you is sponsoring the amazing women and, and men in this program. That has kept me like this, like one hand in a sponsor and multiple hands in sponsees. I am tied here, I am not leaving. And I get the vulnerability of learning new things. I've never had a dietitian a medical dietitian. I have a dietitian who helps me figure out what to eat for my health. Um, I've had to go into other programs and it's been super humbling. So it feels really good to be honest about that. And um, 
you know, I realize once an anorexic, always an anorexic, but I always identify as a pulse feeder. And guess what? All it does is bring me deeper to step 12. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like I can sit here and philosophize about it, analyze, which in my outside helpers, I do a lot of analysis and things like that, but that's not what is here. What's here is all of us being together. Like I said, the disease is always a great equalizer. And, um, I could also, I want to say, because it's it's not necessarily an outside issue because it's listed on page 118 in here in the 12th step. And it talks about, um, you know, uh, you know, it talks about that um, being marriage and partnership and all these things. And in the big book, it also talks about um, on page 88, you know, it says, the next chapter is entirely devoted to step 12 and it's working with others. And, um, you know, I've had to go into other programs to help me with relationships. And it talks about it on the bottom of the appendage of like um, 118s, you know, um, in adaptive form, the steps are also used by Al-Anon family groups. And that's not a part of AA, but like there's so many other aspects that in this book that helped me that lead me to other things you know and um i'm really forever grateful and um you know page 122 we found freedom from fear was most important than freedom from want and i want freedom from fear because right here right now like you know um the disease of compulsive eating anorexia is about disassociated from right here right now and when i'm on meetings i hear all of you i'm brought back to just like the essence and the joy of living and um i'm just really really grateful for overage anonymous i have a totally different life than i ever would have i'm super humbled i feel um new beginnings are happening to me all at once. And I guess that's what happens when we, we stay here, you know, we stay here. And um, I have been able to walk through these things. And, um, and um, I really appreciated the other speakers going into detail about each question, because I did not do that. But I hope that there was something I said that did cover the amidst of what the 12 step is speaking to me on and um, really appreciate being here. Thank you. <laughs> oh man i'm over here i'm over here glued on just tied into every word um it's man that was a that was incredible that was incredible and i, I love how you talked about in 30 years a lot happens <laughs> and that's and that's why i wanted long timers here um not to put not to put time on a pedestal, but I'm just always curious. I know in six years of recovery, how much life has happened and how much I've had to utilize program. And when I hear your story, Casey, it's like 30 years, how much life has happened, how much program you've had to rely upon and God walking through you through experiences. And I appreciate the gut level honesty I loved how you talked about, I have problems in areas where I didn't have areas before, you know, going from a cat <laughs> to a full family. That's, 
that's recovery or walking through health issues and having to make those course corrections all the way down the line. That's recovery. And you, uh, you, caught, you came and prepared and you brought your A game. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.